is good, everybody? Welcome to episode 113 of Defenders of the Bank. This one truly crossing the world wide web as neither Philly or myself are in world famous Philomonster Studios in beautiful Burbank, California. You know my voice. I am the scarf, J.R. Liebert, and I am right here at the scarf compound in Lawndale, California, while Philly crunches something right next to the microphone in his hotel room in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. Everybody, I give you Christian Philly Philemon. Greetings from across state line, defenders, coming to you live from the Mandalay Bay in Sin City. Maybe this isn't the most responsible thing to be doing during a pandemic, <laughs> but this was a surprise trip planned by my wife, Panda, in honor of my entering the fourth floor that you love to constantly remind me of right now. So I'm happy to be here. It's been a fascinating tale. But the one thing that you said, the one thing that you asked, what is good? <laughs> Not much was good after what we just witnessed. Unbelievable day in the world of LAFC history, Scarf. But we're going to talk about that momentarily. But yes, oh. cross state lines. It's weird not to be in Philomonster Studios, but if there's one thing I can say that we had or gained throughout the course of this pandemic is our ability to figure out Zoom and Skype because we didn't have a freaking clue how to do any of this prior. If we weren't in the same room, it was pretty much the Temple of Doom because we wouldn't have had any <laughs> idea what to do. Yeah, we have definitely upped our game a little bit, having to kind of play it by ear episode after episode over quarantine. I think this is like our 30th episode we've done in quarantine, by the way. I was just looking at that before. It is unbelievable how many episodes we've done and how long this whole deal has gone on, hoping this lifts sometime soon. Let's go, doctors. Let's find that uh, vaccine that our president wants to have ready by like yesterday or something. Look, we've got the standard episode fair here in what was anything but a standard LAFC match. Of course, this day in LAFC history, followed by some LAFC news and notes, a match recap and scheduling with the scarf. That's right. Scheduling with the scarf will make its triumphant return with four games remaining in the restart. That's going to be a lot of fun. And of course, we've got our wait. What? what? I don't know if we did that on cue, but we'll see how that sounds in post. Moment of the podcast. I have a feeling, Philly, our wait what moment is going to involve either Kenneth Vermeer or Jordan Morris. Just a little bit on that one. Probably, so Probably the both of them, honestly. <laughs> oh, man. So many different things. I, I would also like to say something. Philly, you and I were having a conversation with Rachel, who is the fantastic general manager over at LAFC headquarters. And we both were, we were kind of hoping that maybe LAFC would release a third keeper kit. We were really hoping for that purple kit, Philly. I, I want you to know, I, I spoke to our source, Rachel, and after watching Kenneth Vermeer in goal today, she says, and I quote, not a chance of releasing the purple kit anytime soon. And, and I'm not going to lie, I don't blame her one bit, Philly. I, you can't. Because that purple kit, all it can do and all it does is remind us of Kenneth Vermeer. I don't want to speak ill upon him, but after today, there's no more defending him. At this point, start Cisniega and let's start from scratch. <laughs> I don't want that purple kit because you know what? The purple and the green remind us of the Joker. And the joke is on us at this point if we continue to rely on Kenneth Vermeer. I... 
We defended him a lot. We did. And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll still defend him to a certain extent. But watching him play, how many times has he come so far out of the box? How many times have we had conversations stating the fact that at some point we're going to get burned? We got burned twice today in yeah. the most awful of fashions. But, you know, to sort of back him up a little bit, our defense wasn't really there either. So while our goalkeeping most certainly collapsed, our backline collapsed just as well. I was going to make this comparison a little bit later, but since we're having this conversation right now before we do this day in LAC history, it's kind of like our New York Mets, Philly, where no. we might we might go on a five-game win streak. We might have players play pretty well. But, man, when we're bad, the Mets just do things in apoplectic proportions. I mean, come on. How New York Mets was Kenneth Vermeer in goal today? Look, he, he didn't even make a save at the end of the match, by the way. He had zero saves, and I know we're going to talk about that later. But, oof, look, I think you're absolutely right. We, we've supported Kenneth Vermeer quite a bit, and I promise we're going to get into this day in LSU history in just a second. But I'm with you. Let's start, Pablo, but we're going to have one other conversation about that back line as we get to the end of our podcast today. But it is time for this day in LAFC history. Today is August 30th, 2020, and we are recording this. It's just about 10 o'clock at night, and it's time for this day in LAFC history. So August 30th, 2018, a player who we saw today, Dejan Yakovic, called in to Canada's national team for CONCACAF Nations League qualifying. And also on the 30th, 2019, Philly, who can forget this goal? Carlos Vela winning the 2019 AT&T Week 25 Goal of the Week for his Houdini goal, as it has been called, against San Jose, where he made not one, not two, not three, but four defenders plus their goalie miss en route to an absolutely incredible goal. So many different calls on that goal, too. That was the Vela, 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 Vela call. What an incredible goal. And man, would I have liked to have produced a moment like that today. Didn't happen. Also, on this day in LAFC history, tomorrow, August 31st, 1999. That's right, the birth of our third keeper. Heck, let's get Philip Ejimadu out there and get him some minutes the way we've been yeah. looking at the goal right now. Philly, what did you do for your 21st birthday? Because Philip Ejimadu is turning 21. What was your 21st like, Philly? <laughs> I'll tell you. I went to this bodega right around the corner from my house in Queens, New York, right? I've been going there for years with a fake ID. I, I, I knew the, the, the owner of the establishment. We were on a first-name basis. She would always see me go, hey, Christian, hey, nice to see you. So on the day of my 21st birthday, I walk up with, I think I had two 40s of Mickey's because I really enjoyed drinking Mickey's in my late teens and early 20s. But I remember showing her my ID, and she just had a conniption. She's like, are you serious? You've been coming to my store for three years, and now you finally turned 21? I will <laughs> never forget this for as long as I live. Sadly, the bodega no longer exists, and now it's a Dunkin' Donuts and a Baskin Robbins. But that was what I did the very first thing when I turned 21. And for some reason or another, I found myself drinking at a TGI Fridays before I went off bar hopping in New York City. But <laughs> I, I will never forget the look on the bodega owner's face when I told that poor woman, I've been buying alcohol from you illegally for three years. Well, I was trying to purchase alcohol legally at midnight on my 21st birthday. I was in beautiful, question mark, Scottsdale, Arizona for spring training baseball. Sweet. And it was only about 104 degrees at midnight 
when I went over to the Chevron station to try to purchase my first legal drink, and, and I got all excited. I, I think – what was I trying to purchase? I think it might have been some sort of flavored cider or something, knowing me at the Zima. time. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. God, remember Zima? That wasn't terrible. It wasn't awful, no. No. So I, I bring it out of the large cold case back there at the Chevron. I bring it up to the – for some reason, they had like a four-inch thick pane glass window at this Chevron. It was midnight, and I get all excited. I put my ID down in the little pay tray slot there, and she just looks right at me, and she goes, I'm sorry. I can't sell you that. I said, what are you talking about? You totally can. Look at my birthday. And she goes, no, no, no. Scottsdale doesn't serve alcohol after 10 o'clock. And I thought I was in Amish country for a second there. I was like, wait a minute. What do you mean you don't? How do you? But it's my, uh. So my first legal drink was later that day when I turned 21 in the morning. I woke up and we went to the Anaheim Angels versus San Francisco Giants spring training baseball game where I actually got to play catch with Jerome Williams on the field. Wow. It was also his birthday, and I was chatting him up. As you know, I may chat up players when I'm near them per our Ontario Fury experiences that we have had. And I was <laughs> chatting it up with Jerome Williams, and I said, yeah, I'm actually celebrating my birthday. It's my 21st birthday. He goes, no way. It's not your birthday. I go, yeah, man. And he goes, really? Well, we should have a catch. Come on. And I was like, wait, wait, hold on. What do you mean? He goes, you have your glove. Come on. Come on out and and, and play catch. So I literally was able That's to, awesome. per, per the security guard, was able to hop the fence and just toss the ball around in spring training with Jerome Williams for a little bit. So so that was my 21st birthday. And I'm not sure our listeners cared about that, but it's Philip Edgemadu's 21st birthday tomorrow. So please wish Philip a very happy birthday. It's going to be a long plane flight for him and his teammates back from Seattle. But unfortunately for Philip, he didn't get any burn, but that means he didn't have anything to do with the three goals that we gave up against Seattle. Philly, it's time for LAFC news and notes and Look, we're going to get into a lot of other LAFC-related ones, but for me, the biggest one was the news from the LA City Council who announced that a stretch of Figueroa Boulevard from Martin Luther King all the way out to Olympic will now be renamed Kobe Bryant Boulevard. This, of course, basically begins or ends, depending on which direction you're coming from, at Bank of California Stadium, Philly. It looks like the bank is getting a new sponsor and a new address in the very near future. I can't wait to say that we play at 3939 Kobe Bryant Boulevard. How cool is that? I think it's really cool. And considering the fact that AEG has claim on a portion of the Lakers and the Staples Center, it's kind of a <laughs> to Carson and AEG that that address ends right at back at California Stadium or begins, whichever way you want to look at it. I yeah. think it's a great thing. I mean, Kobe Bryant, obviously an L.A. icon. We have nothing but respect for the man and his accomplishments. I'm sure maybe some listeners out there will say whatever they want to say about some of his past indiscretions. It don't matter. We all make mistakes. We're all humans. Cast the first stone if you haven't sinned, but pretty darn cool, Scarf. I think it's really, really cool. And the minute that sign goes up, we got to take a picture and post on our site when that happens. I thought you were going to say we got to take the sign because I was all there for you, too. I was like, oh, yeah, we can get cool. Well, that's what I was going to tell you after hours. Defenders well, after hours. Welcome, like, to, welcome to the sign. most. Oh, welcome to the most stolen street signs now in all of Los Angeles. And I, I know I'm not going to be the only one going, how cool would it be to have that sign? 
In other LAFC news, my friend, as all of you know, LAFC's match at Real Salt Lake last Wednesday was postponed due to a boycott by athletes across all sports to both protest the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and to bring more light to the Black Lives Matter movement and racial injustice experienced by people of color. However, LAFC Philly quickly found itself amid another major controversy. Unbeknownst to LAFC fans, but apparently no big secret in Salt Lake City, Utah, their owner is an intolerant racist. Soon-to-be former Real Salt Lake owner Del Loy Hansen made a series of deplorable comments on Salt Lake City Radio, on a radio station, by the way, that he owns, His comments included the following. He said that the actions of the players, and I quote, clearly did not support our city or our organization. It's a moment of sadness. It's like somebody stabbed you and you're trying to figure out a way to pull the knife out and move forward. The disrespect is profound to me personally. Hansen also threw a full-on temper tantrum saying he wouldn't be inviting fans back to his stadium anymore and that he would be cutting 40 to 50 jobs after the boycott and even went as far, Philly, to close the practice facility the very next day. Well, it turns out that Mr. Hansen soon will be no part of Major League Soccer, USL, or NWSL. With the first good decision that he's made all week, Philly, he said that he will be selling his holdings company, which include three clubs, Real Salt Lake, their USL side, Real Monarchs, and the NWSL club, Utah Royals. And you know what, Philly, another awful part about all this is like Donald Sterling with the Clippers, Hansen stands to make a ton of money off of selling this team. You know, apparently Larry Miller, the owner of the Utah Jazz and minor league baseball club Salt Lake Bees is interested. I know Josie Altador also said he was interested. Philly, I'm going to bring back something from the Wayback Machine that you started for one or two episodes many months ago. You had a few people who you lovingly named your putts of the week. (laughs) And without using several other adjectives that we both would rather use, I would like to bring back that short-lived moniker for the pride of Utah State University, Del Loy Hansen. As our head man, Bob Bradley, put it so eloquently, get lost. Del, you're a schmuck. An absolute (laughs) freaking schmuck. But this schmuck has a history of making these outlandish comments. If you Google this right now, I read an article in The Athletic. There was a match between FC Dallas and Real Salt Lake, a match in which Kellen Acosta scored a couple of goals. And in passing sometime after the match, I think Kellen was walking with his agent at the time, and they had introduced each other, and they had exchanged their pleasantries or whatever. And then Dell turns around and goes, when are we going to lynch this guy? (laughs) Are you freaking kidding me? Kellen didn't hear him, but the agent heard him. You can Google this. This guy has a history of these incidences, an absolute history. And within this league, there are bylaws. They have the absolute right to get rid of them with majority ownership approval. But you said it earlier, and I'm glad you mentioned it. He's going to walk away with fair market value of of this club, which is going to stand to make him a pretty sweet, profitable coin. Do you think this schmuck or putz, I don't know which is worse. I, I'm going to need somebody to clarify the <laughs> or putts of the day. But he's going to walk away with a lot of money. 
And do you really think he's going to have learned his lesson at this point where he was forced to churn a profit? I think something else needs to happen. I hope his other businesses fail. I think, you know, if people want to go out there and truly attack Dell, they attack all his other businesses. The guy spent all kinds of money on a freaking dime, and yet he lays off and furloughs his staff a dime. What are you, Scrooge McDuck but evil? Give me a break. You are like the, the worst version of Scrooge McDuck on on an anti, I don't know, like a crazy alternate universe world of DuckTales. He is a schmuck. I'm glad schmuck he's out tales. of this. Philly, schmuck tales. Schmuck tales. There we go. Schmuck tales. Starting, there it is. Deloy Hansen. But again, the guy's going to walk away with a fat profit, and I doubt he's going to learn a lesson, and he's still going to maintain his views. You want to attack him? We go after his other business holdings and boycott that. Yeah, and here's the other thing I will say. The only other silver lining in all of this, besides him no longer being an MLS owner, he did face the music a little, I guess, when he sent out an apology letter. And he did apologize directly to Neda Manuoha, who said he didn't want to be part of the club anymore. If you haven't looked up Neda Manuoha, he is one of the black players on Real Salt Lake and felt like that was not a place he, he wanted to be. Del Loy Hansen did apologize directly to Nedham by saying that he had let him down and he was appropriate to be as angry as he was. I'm glad he said Nedham was allowed to be angry, by the way. Thanks, Mr. Owner. But either way, good riddance to Deloy Hansen. I would also urge everyone listening to this. Philly's already said you should Google something while you're listening. Now I urge you, after this episode is over, if you haven't heard the audio already, please head to LAFC.com and play Bob Bradley's comments in support of his players, the sports boycott of last week, and the Black Lives Matter movement. I, I can't tell you how proud I was, Philly, that Bob Bradley is our head man, not just because of his success on the field, although I would like for some of that to come back rather quickly, but for all the things that he stood for and said in that press conference. That was pretty cool. Philly, we're going to have the return of scheduling with the scarf later in the episode, but I know you wanted to update the millions. And millions. Of our listeners about the rescheduling for that Real Salt Lake match that was not played last week. Yeah, absolutely. That match is going to be played, but it's going to be rescheduled for Wednesday, September the 9th at 6.30. Again, at Rio Tinto Stadium. We have no idea who's going to have ownership at this point. So if you're going to be really quick to want to go out and buy tickets for the match, I would urge you to kind of hang on a second because the 5,000 fans that were eligible to enter Rio Tinto Stadium at that time, I don't know if that's going to be the case. If Dell still has his ownership, he took his ball and ran. He doesn't want to open that up to anybody. So don't buy your tickets just yet unless you fully do your research. I haven't, so I might have missed out on something. But yes, Wednesday, September the 9th at 630 is going to be our rematch against Rio. Salt Lake, or really Salty Lake at this point, or real Salty Lake, whatever you want to call them. Hey, Alice, just such a dumb name for a team from Utah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, and our last little bit of LAFC news and notes, LAFC and Estrella Media announced the local broadcast schedule for the upcoming series of matches. Estrella's KRCA Channel 62 will air the rescheduled match against Real Salt Lake on Wednesday, September 9th at 6.30, and they will be airing the match against Portland on Sunday, September 13th at 8 p.m. We are always looking for other ways to watch LAFC YouTube TV is expensive and so this means Estrella Media KRCA Channel 62 will have the Salt Lake match on September 9th and the Portland match on September 13th and Philly there's no point in avoiding the inevitable anymore 
Let's head into the recap of what turned out to be a rough day in the Emerald City. LAFC headed to Seattle to take on our biggest out-of-state rival, the defending MLS Cup champion Seattle Sounders. The boys from the Emerald City had never beaten LAFC in a regular season before. None of that mattered, however, during the 2019 MLS Cup playoffs. As we know, Seattle dispatched LAFC with a very familiar scoreline, 3-1, behind a brace from Peruvian talisman Raul Rui Diaz playing in his first ever match against the Black and Gold. But Philly, last time we saw Seattle... It was a rather lifeless and listless bunch who showed up to face LAFC in the bubble. We took it to the defending champs 4-1 in the round of 16 of the COVID Cup. This time it was Diego Rossi with a brace, backed up by goals from Raito. Yes, Raito does score goals on occasion. And Latif Blessing. Will Bruin scored in late action for Seattle. And if you listen to our very special morning edition of One More Sleep that we forgot to record by we, I mean I forgot to record <laughs> last night before the match, I touched on the incredible job that Will Bruin, a 10-year MLS veteran, has done coming on as a super sub late for Seattle. Philly, a lot that we were looking forward to coming into the match, but uh, not a lot happened on the pitch that we want to look back on. It hurts to hear you say battling the defending MLS Cup champions. Makes me sick to my gut, to be quite honest with you. We had the season of a lifetime in 2019, but it, we, we, we lost. We lost to the Seattle Sounders. And we can't, I can't even call them the Flounders, a name that I so lovingly gave to them many, 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 many episodes ago. I have to call them by their real name, the Sounders, because they definitely pounded upon us. You can even break it down to the injury report. The Sounders, there's nobody really worthwhile on their injury report. We had midfielder Danny Leva, left foot fracture. We know he's gone. We had backup keeper Trey Muse out with a concussion. Seattle was going to come in strong. And Seattle, along with Sporting Kansas City, I would say, those are the two teams to beat in the Western Conference. We are not that team, Scarf. And unfortunately, until we get Edward Atuesta back, until we have a healthy Carlos Vela, I think we have to get used to the idea that we are not the team of last season. We are not the team that's going to dominate other clubs. We are not going to be the team that is going to break all these scoring records. It's just not us. We've, what, scored 16 goals and now allowed 15? This wasn't a good match and not a good result. No, Philly, you uh, you mentioned the injury report for LAFC. No surprises there. Edward Atuesta and Carlos Vela both out for this match. Philly, the starting lineups for both teams. I'm going to let you tackle LAFC, but this was the same Seattle lineup that just took it to Portland 3-0 last week. We know Stefan Fry in goal, Jovan Jones, Shane O'Neill, Yamar Gonzalez, Andrade, who is a handful there in yeah. the middle. Guy is 6'2", 200 pounds, my goodness. And Kevin Leardom on, excuse me, Kelvin Leardom on the back line. Joao Paulo, their DP from Brazil, and Gustav Svensson in the midfield. And Jordan Morris, Oh, Jordan Morris. Nico Lodiero, Christian Roldan, and Raul Rui Diaz up top. And Nico Lodiero, by the way, I learned this on the broadcast, a former teammate of our possibly former starting keeper, Kenneth Vermeer, at Ajax. In goal, possibly not starting next game, Kenneth Vermeer. 
some of the uh, players on our team that started this match, no big surprises. But when we get down to it, Danilo Silva making a surprising comeback. At some point, we wondered whether or not he signed a contract, whether or not he was still on the team. I feel like we haven't seen him in a really, 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 and I'm highly exaggerating the word really, long time. He started for us. Tristan Blackman, Eddie Segura, Chiqui Palacios, Mark Anthony Kay. We mentioned this on the last pod. We even mentioned this on the One More Sleep. Janela, <laughs> his starting debut in the midfield, not good. It was a pleasant surprise seeing Sifu in there. And rounding it out, we had Blessing, Rossi, BWP, and, of course, Brian Rodriguez. And one thing that I noticed before this match started, Scarf, Alexei Lalas gave his power rankings. And he had Seattle as his number one choice. Yep. He then had Sporting Kansas City, which at this point still is the, the first place team in the Western Conference. But then he had LAFC in third place. We have Atuesta, we have LAFC, possibly. But at this point, I think we deserve to be in seventh place. Yeah, Philly, that was Danilo Silva's first match in almost a year. You were correct to exaggerate the really on that. And we'll talk about Danilo Silva a little bit later in the podcast. This also marking the 200th regular season appearance for Bradley Wright Phillips in his Major League Soccer career. Congratulations to BWP for both his 200th appearance and for during this game crossing the 15,000-minute mark in yeah. this match. And it was also Sifu's first start ever for LAFC. So, Philly, all the usual suspects in the 18 for us, which is now actually 20, including Mohamed Omanir, Dayan Yakovic, and Jordan Harvey on defense, Pancho Janela and Bryce Duke in the midfield, Adrian Perez, and now Danny Masovsky at forward, but also in the 20, a player who we are going to talk about a little bit later on, Christian Torres. He was not in the yeah. 18 against Carson, and LAFC did not announce a lineup against RSL before the boycott. So this is the first non-tournament game that he is eligible for minutes for the black and gold. And again, he is an academy product, one of three homegrown players, along with Tony Leone and Eric Duenas, that we signed at the beginning of the season, marking our first three homegrown players ever signed in team history and the first three academy products. So you better believe I started out rooting for Christian Torres to get some minutes. And unfortunately, I said on One More Sleep this morning that I was hoping he'd be able to get some minutes in some sort of a blowout, maybe 4 nothing, 5 nothing, LAFC. I didn't mean for it to be the other way around. Head referee Kevin Stott, who, by the way, looks like he plays the head referee in Kicking and Screaming, if you've ever seen that movie. <laughs> the first match he's been in charge of in 2020, but Philly, his 352nd MLS match, the most ever, and he refereed matches, and this is not an exaggeration, he refereed matches in MLS's first season in 1996. The guy has been around and seen some things, but man, did he ever look like a cartoonish version of what an MLS referee is supposed to be like. But Philly, I could hear Max Bredos in my ears when I saw LAFC take the pitch. We knew Sounders would come out in their rave green and back, back in black is LAFC in our home uniforms. It was nice to see our guys in the black uniforms. It's interesting. I'm at the Mandalay Bay. I've mentioned that. I went to go place a bet on LAFC. Here's the interesting part. <laughs> Vegas had LAFC pegged as the favorites for this match. 
How do I know that? Because if I placed a $50 bet, I would have won $41 and change. LAFC was the favorite for this match. Without Edward Atuesta, without Carlos Vela, unbelievable that that was the case. We came out in our uniforms. Here's the funny thing, Scarp. We were sitting at the sports book watching the match. There was the, the Denver Nuggets Utah Jazz game. Okay. The sports book was packed. And then after that match concluded, it was me, Panda, Nina, Chad, our buddy Carlos, who moved to Vegas and he hung out with us, our friend Christina, and two Saunders fans. That was all that was in the Mandalay Bay <laughs> sports book. So that you were all. social distancing then. That's fantastic. You were able oh, to practice very, social distancing. Very much so. I don't think I had anybody around me within like eight to ten feet. I definitely practice social distancing. Look, Vegas is crazy as Vegas can be. Definitely the hotels on the strip. There's sanitizers. There's masks. There's gloves. You can find them all anywhere you look. But if you go to downtown Vegas, Scarf, we started off at the Golden Nugget. Then we made our way over to the El Cortez. We made our way over to Four Queens. Not as many sanitary stations <laughs> and down in old Vegas. I found that to be quite funny. Oh, Fremont Street. Well, Philly, lots of speed on both sides to start the game. No real chances through the first, oh, five, six minutes or so. Just a nice bit of defending in the third minute by Cheeky Palacios. The game's first corner goes to LAFC in the sixth minute off of a nice pass by Mark Anthony K that was deflected out. And I put this in my notes, and I said it before when we were talking about the lineups. In the eighth minute, Gomez Andrade is a big dude in the middle. I mean, it was – you remember when we were watching Borussia Dortmund play – and that one defender that they had was marked on yes. the blessing, and all of a sudden Latif just disappeared. That's the way I felt it's like, like things were happening. Like a new on Muggsy Boat. <laughs> yeah, Yamar Gonzalez Andrade is a big dude, 6'2", 200 pounds in the middle. He seems to be a bit of a problem. You know, he was he really manhandled both Latif Blessing, Diego Rossi, Bradley Wright Phillips on on several different occasions. And Philly in the ninth minute, Bradley Wright Phillips with a great pass to Latif Blessing and Stefan Fry has to make a great save. There was a big rebound. The first real chance for either side goes to LAFC. Our corner goes empty. And man, Stu Holden was harping on the fact that for the first 10 minutes, LAFC dominating every facet of play, their passing, their possession, everything you needed to do in the first 10 minutes of a match, all for naught, Philly, because of that man again in the 11th minute. It's funny. I was chatting with the gang, and I was saying, how unbelievable would it be for us to get a goal in the 11th minute? How awesome would it be if Diego Rossi scored again at the clink in the 11th minute? I got half of what I wanted right. There was a goal scored in the 11th minute at the clink, but it wasn't LAFC, nor was it Diego Rossi. It was Raul Rui Diaz with a shot from no man's land that caught Kenneth Vermeer somewhere over in Timbuktu out of position. He didn't even have a shot in hell for that. And to his defense, again, I'm going to try to play devil's advocate. You don't see shots on goal from that far out that often in this league. The last time we saw a shot like that, I'm going to bring up post-traumatic stress disorders for some of you out Ugh. there, was when Zlatan scored against Tyler Miller in that opening match against Carson. This was the second time we saw something of that nature. Kenneth Vermeer didn't have a shot in hell. And just like that, Seattle strikes first, 
the one player that you wanted to watch out for, their most dangerous opponent, their most dangerous person on the pitch, scores in an unbelievable fashion. And that has to get the goal of the week as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, Raul Ruiz Diaz definitely seized his moment. That ball caroming off the shoulder of Tristan Blackman. And, I mean, oh, my goodness. He was at the top of the box, I think, Kenneth Vermeer, on that shot. So, LAFC falling behind again, Philly. They have scored first just one time now in seven regular season matches this season. And this one hurt a little bit more. This one comes after essentially playing downhill, controlling everything there in those first 10 minutes. And in the 15th minute, talk about post-traumatic stress. Seeing Danilo Silva one-on-one on the wing against Jordan Morris is not how I like to fall asleep easy at nights. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I did not like that matchup, especially as you mentioned. It's been a while since we've seen Danilo Silva 16th minute, a great little breakup by Shane O'Neill, the defense for Seattle. A little one-two between Bradley Wright-Phillips and Raito. Could have been a chance there, but a nice job on defense. And, you know, it, it just we didn't look good for the next few minutes or so. Cheeky has to save the day in the 22nd minute. And then Joao Paulo, Philly, I don't know what you were doing before the match. You said you were watching the Utah-Denver game. They had some boxing on on Fox Sports 1 before the LAFC match, and I saw a couple of those guys get cut pretty good right above the eyebrow. Well, maybe number six, Joao Paulo, in the 23rd minute, wanted to do his best boxer impersonation, took a knock above his eye, and a little cut there. There was a little blood involved, but he made a really nice chip on Raito to break up a little one-two there right before it happened. So Joao Paulo going down in the 23rd minute, Philly, and we were just kind of waiting for, it felt like we were kind of in the eye of the hurricane. Not much going on between these two teams. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, there was, I mean, we could talk about the rest of the first half, but there, there really wasn't anything that happened. Maybe with the 41st minute, Raito had an opportunity where he could have connected with Bradley Wright Phillips. Unfortunately, that was way off. People, Raito had an opportunity to put one in the back of the net himself, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I mean, the first half was... I'm not going to say it was rough because if you look at things statistically, LAFC had better passing accuracy than Seattle did. LAFC had more possession. LAFC had more shots. Granted, the shots on target were the same as Seattle. The only thing that Seattle was up on us at the time of the half was their the score, obviously, which is the most important thing at the end of the day, and the amount of fouls. We didn't play particularly well, but we didn't play particularly awful at that point, with the exception of that goal by Raul Ruiz Diaz. And one thing you mentioned, you talk about Joao taking a knock. It's sort of interesting to see things of that nature, because as, as a club, how do, we get pushed around quite a bit. We get beat up quite a bit. I mean, think about some of the players that we have on our team that, that are on the pitch. You got Diego Rossi, not a very big guy. You got Chiqui Palacios in the back line. Not a very big guy. You got Latif Blessing. We know he's not a very big guy. Seattle kind of beat us up. Yeah, Philly, we've started to see teams clog the middle on us now and really get aggressive. We saw it work very, very well in our last match against Carson. And now here, once again, just a couple of other moments before we close out the half. In the 26th, man, it was a great corner by Raito, but it just seemed like Bradley Wright Phillips and Mark Anthony Kay couldn't get on the same page inside no, the no box. communication. LAFC really needs to communicate better in the box. Rain began to fall in what we noticed was like the 35th minute, so imagine that rain falling in Seattle for a game. That's but a shocker. I, I do want to mention the end of the 38th minute where Danilo Silva 
honestly look like a guy, and, and I mean this in, in, I don't know if you can say the nicest way possible, but I mean like he's given it all out there on the field in what has been a 15-year career, if not longer. And I realize I said field when it's actually pitch, but that's fine. The 33-year-old didn't play badly at all, but I think his last touch where he broke up a pass in the middle was more of a product of him being a little hurt and out of position rather than him getting into the right spot, including today. Danilo Silva has only played about 260 minutes in the last two years, Philly. He's been around a long time, and the stats on the back of his soccer card include time in MLS in 2005. With the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars. That's right. The New York, New Jersey Metro Stars. Philly, pop quiz. Who was the head coach of the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars in 2005? Bob Bradley. Bob Bradley. He goes all the way back to Bob Bradley's stint with the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars. And one of the attackers on that squad, Philly? Anche Razov, assistant coach and our head coach both were with Danilo Silva in the New York. (laughs) Yeah, back when Bob had hair in 2005, Dayan Yakovic comes in for Danilo. I I just felt bad for Danilo Silva because you saw him walk off the pitch and he had that look like, man, I just tried to give it a go with my body for that last time. And I don't know that I've got it anymore. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. And again, I mean this in the way that Danilo has left everything out there on the pitch over the course of his career. And he's had a very, very solid career both here and abroad. But I don't know. I think we might have seen the last of Danilo Silva in black and gold. Not sure. the, The other big moment, too, Philly, was in stoppage time. Raul Ruiz Diaz and Diego Rossi coming together as Rossi lined up for a one-timer. Rossi actually seemed okay at the end of all this. He, of course, was writhing on the ground for a little bit after it happened. But Raul Ruiz Diaz seeming a little limpy as he got back up. And Philly, we would find out in the second half, to begin the second half, in fact, Will Bruin coming on for Raul Ruiz Diaz. And I got to tell you, Philly, I felt... Like, we might have had a little bit of an opening there. Their best offensive player, you said it, leading up to the recap. Raul Ruiz Diaz now out of the game with a heel contusion. And by the way, heel contusion spelled H-E-A-L. Sounds like a punk rock Christian worship band that I would totally go see. Heel contusion. So we'll see. Live we'll at the Roxy. Well, yeah, you know, socially distant at the Roxy. Heel contusion. After the half, we got about three minutes of peace. And then in the 48th minute, Philly... The wheels, the bumper, the brake lights, two of the doors, everything came off for LAFC. If you blinked, if you didn't get back to your sofa, you missed a lot of action in the 48th and the 49th minute. We got absolutely torched, not only in the back line, but our goalkeeping. Jordan Morris, Jordan Morris destroyed us. The guy had a brace within seconds. 48th minute, he scored. I'm sitting there typing the notes on my phone. Complete collapse. Uh, our back line this. Our, our goalkeeper that. And then a minute later, Jordan Morris strikes again. Dejan Yakovic, way too slow. 
totally burned. Jordan Morris scores an unbelievable goal. And in the blink of an eye, Seattle absolutely sliced this up like a piece of freaking provolone cheese on a New York-style pastrami on rye sandwich. It was disgusting how he got caught up. It was it was awful. To quote Alicia Rodriguez in Angels on Parade, <laughs> assuming, I'm going to quote this, and I quote, assuming you didn't turn off your TV, our goalkeeping and defense is in shambles, end quote. She absolutely hit the hammer right on the nail. That is absolutely what happened to us. It was ugly. Kenneth Vermeer getting caught in two precarious positions throughout the course of this match. The defense completely collapsed and fell to high hell. But but you blame the entire team on that. Yes, there are instances where we could totally blame Vermeer, and I could totally say I'm fine with seeing Pablo Cisneca start from here on out. But the back line was awful. The selling of Walker Zimmerman continues to haunt us. We haven't replenished our back line. Not at all. Not even in the least bit. Tristan Blackman, who was a shining star last season, he hasn't been there. Eddie Segura, I feel like I feel like he disappears half the time for some of these matches. Dan Yakovich, at some point we were saying, the guy's having a resurgence. The guy's coming back through and having a pretty solid career. We thought him having a kid was that extra bit of motivation. But if I'm sitting there pining for Walker Zimmerman and, and Stephen Betashore, you know, that, that's got to tell you something. Andy Nahar, who even cares about him at this point? He's, he's, he's our Derrick Rose in terms of injuries. I mean, Seattle just punched us right in the face. When we were being optimistic, we had a halftime live IG thing. We were optimistic about it, but Seattle punched the hell out of us immediately, and that was really all they needed to freaking put the nail in the coffin. Yeah, you know, Philly, Nico Lodiero finding a wide-open Jordan Morris. Oh. A wide-open Jordan Morris between both Eddie Segura and Dayan Yakovic. The bummer about it all, though, is that Kenneth Vermeer did not allow either of his defenders to try to come back and make a play on the ball. He came all the way out, well outside of the 18, not sure what he was doing all the way there. He committed to it, but Jordan Morris saw it coming, a little flick to his left, and just yeah. like that, the empty net. And 61 seconds later, Will Bruin with a little flick back to Joao Paulo, a beautiful pass from Joao Paulo to Jordan Morris. Second goal, 61 seconds. And Philly, you mentioned it in our run-up to this match. 15 goals allowed in seven games. We're talking about a team that allowed just a little over one goal a game last season, and now we're averaging over two. And to be honest, Philly, for the next few minutes, LAFC was lucky not to concede again. Seattle throwing bodies forward for the next five or six minutes. We were all kinds of out of sorts and disorganized in the back. We looked awful for about 10 minutes of play and again i wrote this in the 54th minute gomez andrade continues to be a problem for diego rossi and the rest of our attackers in the 60th minute philly and lafc has to thwart another solid attack but on the counter there was a counter hey finally a counter bradley wright phillips finding jose cifuentes who crosses it to diego rossi and there is a little bit of life philly for LAFC, it's now 3-1 on Rossi's 10th in all contests this season, his 7th towards the Golden Boot. And I wrote this in my notes. I said, LAFC has given up a 3-0 lead before. Why not come back from one ourselves? But then again, nothing left in the tank. Philly, when you go down 3-0, when you go down 1-0 in 11 minutes and 3-0 after 49, 
you're chasing the game the entire time. And I felt like LAFC played like they were chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing. At 65th minute, Tristan Blackman coming off for Adrian Perez, which meant, of course, Latif Blessing moving to right back. And he looked a little better this match moving to right back than certainly he did against Carson. Adrian Perez, though, unfortunately, Philly, not able to provide that extra scoring touch that we were hoping for from the pride of Loyola Marymount University. And it was just, I wrote this after like the 72nd minute. I mean, I know we're moving kind of quickly through it, but LAFC just having a hard time getting anything moving forward, playing behind for the entire match will do that to you. And it just, you know, nothing really to speak of that was any optimism at all in the LAFC attack. But Philly in the 77th minute, a little history made in an otherwise mess of a game and maybe, maybe some optimism for the future of the black and gold with three substitutions we made, but most notably the one for Brian Rodriguez. No, I, I definitely, we definitely want to talk about that. I mean, we saw, we saw the entry of Christian Torres, our first Academy player hitting up the, uh, hitting up the game. One thing I, I came across that I wanted to bring out was uh, an article I came uh, about Diego Rossi. It was transfer market. Transfer market has Diego Rossi at this point listed yep. just under $20 million, yep. which would make him the most expensive transfer in Major League Soccer history. He scored a goal today, like you said. He did He did well. That was a very, very nice situation. It was Bradley Wright Phillips had a great pass to Jose Cifuentes, who found Diego Rossi. That was our shining moment. At that point, and Diego Rossi easily able to slot it in the back of the net past Stefan Fry. But 19.8 million is what transfer market has Diego Rossi listed at. So even though our times are dark right now, who even knows how much darker they're going to get with the potential acquisition of some of our our shining stars? I think I saw another thing on like on one of these other social media aspects about Brian Rodriguez's agent coming across saying like, "There's three clubs that are." really interested in Brian Rodriguez. But unfortunately, because of the pandemic, things are things are slowing down. You know, I, I don't want to say we're going to get we got to get used to our team not being the way it is. But, you know, our, our, our stud young players, they're not going to be with us forever. And we I feel like we talk about this uh, an awfully long time. But you mentioned it earlier. Christian Torres coming into the game, I would say would probably it's probably the best thing that happened to our club, to see an academy player finally get to be on the pitch. We've been pining for one of these three kids to come out there on the field. He came in with Danny Musovsky and, and, and with Pancho Janela, subbing for uh, Kay sat out, Raito sat out, and Bradley Wright Phillips sat out. Why not? Why not let the young kid get some burn? You know, he's he's in a situation where he's he's going to fight for every little thing that he can. Maybe he could have been a turnaround point for us. But either way, it was pretty cool seeing him on the pitch. Philly, April 15th, 2004. That would be the birth date of Christian Torres, just 16 years so old. So stupid. <laughs> born in 2004, the pride of Fontana, California, and now he can count among his other experiences during his high school years, significant minutes against the major league soccer champions in a regular season match. Christian Torres. And in case you were curious, now, Philly, 
This was last updated August 26th, and of course today being August 30th, so maybe it's got a chance to tick up just a little bit. You mentioned Diego Rossi's transfer market value at $19.8 million. Christian Torres's is currently at $55,000. So he's got a little ways to go to catch Diego Rossi in terms of the transfer market value. Philly in the 86th minute. Jordan Morris subbing off, and all I wrote in my notes was, thank you. I didn't want to see Jordan Morris on the pitch anymore. By the way, Jordan Morris missed a full season and a half dealing with a torn ACL and subsequent surgery from it. He he has diabetes, by the way. He is one of a couple different diabetics in Major League Soccer. This kid has had so many different things thrown his way, and all he has done since he has come back at the tail end of 2018, back to form in 2019, is do incredible things for the Seattle Sounders. The thing that Jordan Morris gives me a little bit of hope for, Philly, is that maybe not all U.S. men's national team players have to get their seasoning over in Europe in order to become something great. Because I think Jordan Morris right now would be in our starting 11 as one of our strikers, and he's got all of his seasoning in Major League Soccer for the Seattle Sounders. So you know what? That, to me, is is a big deal. Uh, Thank you for taking Jordan Morris out of the game in about the 86th minute. In the second minute of stoppage time, Philly, we had one in the pregame and now one in the second minute of stoppage time. The second Ted Lasso reference of the broadcast. And you and I both, Philly, really enjoying Ted Lasso. Not sure Great if you show. Got to see, not sure if you got to see the fifth episode yet, but I would certainly recommend it. They are now five episodes in on Apple TV. And as you know, I am currently the world's biggest AFC Richmond fan, in addition to bleeding black and gold. It's funny. As far as the statistics for the game, even though the scoreline looked kind of ugly, the stats weren't truly awful. At least I didn't think they were. I mean, we had four shots on goal, 10 total shots tied Seattle. Seattle trounced us in terms of fouls. They had 13 versus our seven. We had opportunities, corner kicks, eight to four. Possession, relatively even. We had 53% of possession to their 47. Where we really got killed was that, span where Jordan Morris just basically lit us up like a pinball machine. We had opportunities. We definitely did. We thought with Diego Rossi scoring one that we would be able to come back into it. And again, we did have opportunities. We can't say that we didn't have opportunities. They were, they, they definitely played better and correct me if you think I'm wrong. They played a lot better against Seattle than they did against the galaxy, but, but either way still wasn't a solid performance. And I mentioned this earlier. We have to get used to the idea that this isn't a club that we're used to seeing. The first two years, we got really spoiled. This season right here, we're in this like weird limbo transitionary phase in which we lose Dio in, in, in the most shocking of ways. We lose Carlos Vela in an unfortunate set of circumstances. And then we lose Edward Atuesta. Again, it, that just proves... Everybody out there who watches this team and has been watching this team, that Edward Atuesta is so important to our club. There's just something he adds, whether it's confidence, whether it's a commanding presence, whether it's leadership. We're young. We've had Dave Denholm say we've got one of the most talented, one of the most deepest teams there are. We have the best midfield with unbelievable subs, but they're young and they're unproven. And Seattle... You know, much to, I guess, Alexei Lalas' power rankings, Seattle did look like they could be the best team in Major League Soccer against us. We looked abysmal. We looked awful. And it just sucks. 
Yeah, Philly, to your point, they had mentioned this on the broadcast. Last season, LAFC gave up four set-piece goals over the entire year. We have already given up four set-piece goals in 2020 in what has been a weird year for everybody. It's definitely not a good year for us on the back line. LAFC did something they hadn't done, Philly, in 2019, which was to lose back-to-back games. And LAFC, of course, now doing something they've never done, lost to Seattle in the regular season in Philly, something we are not used to. LAFC now dropping to seventh in the table at nine points. And though only Sporting Kansas City have scored more goals than LAFC's 16 through this point in the season, our goal differential dropping to just plus one. We have scored 16. We have given up 15. You mentioned losing Dio, losing Carlos Vela. Losing Edward Atuesta, but I hate to beat a Nashville horse, but losing Uh, Walker Zimmerman right before the start of the regular season, late in preseason, losing Walker Zimmerman. And Stu Holden said something that that I don't know that I agree with, by the way. He said that if you get $1.25 million, that that's a deal you have to make when it comes up. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, especially because now, with hindsight being 2020, seven regular season matches and several others from the MLS is back tournament in the books. I think we can see the effects of losing your anchor and your captain there on the back line because that's what Walker Zimmerman was. Yes, it's allowed Eddie Segura to grow into himself and become more of a leader. But why, oh, why couldn't Walker have just taken him under his wing and taught him a little bit more about that? And I'm sorry for everybody out there that thought that we didn't need Walker to be a strong defense on the back line. You've mentioned it several times, Philly. We are not the team of 2019. But in my opinion, it has nothing to do with our offensive output, even though that looks a little stagnant right now. It has far more to do with the fact that our back line is as disorganized as I have ever seen it and really is having a hard time communicating out there. This was a rough, rough game for LAFC on defensive purposes, especially. We created chances. You're absolutely right. And what this match shows me is that more and more and more, and I feel like this is something Joseph Zacher would say, that possession just doesn't matter very often in Major League Soccer. If you've got a great counterattack or if you've got moments of brilliance like we saw, we saw 61 second, literally a moment of brilliance from Jordan Morris lightning striking twice and an absolute cracker of a moment of brilliance with Raul Rui Diaz there in the 11th. They beat us on moments of brilliance. This wasn't like our match against Carson where it seemed like it was build-up after build-up that just looked terrible and we just got beat into the ground. We were a team that outplayed them for the most part, and I was happy with our offense, to be perfectly honest. But our back line, and you mentioned it before, unfortunately, our goaltending, I guess it's time, right, to get off of Kenneth Vermeer and get back on to Pablo Cisniega. I'm saying it too. Let's get Philip Ejimadu some minutes in goal. He had the save of the week a couple times for Tucson. He had their first ever shutout in team history. I would love to see the birthday boy Philip Ejimadu get some run. Obviously, I know Pablo is our next in line, but couldn't hurt. Yeah, we're biased. We definitely love Philip Ejimadu. But I'm with you. It's time to ride the Cisniega train. Let him get his experience. 
Let him cut his teeth. He's shown flashes of brilliance. Kenneth Vermeer is towards the end of his career. And we've argued that as the veteran, he's the one that should have started. We talked about his experience. I don't think you can allow Kenneth Vermeer to start the next game after the performance we have seen. It, it, it's, it's, it's just not possible. Again, we just have to get used to the idea of this not being you know, the, the, the club of old. 16 goals for, 15 goals allowed. Oh, I mean, it's not all over. It, it, it most certainly isn't. There's still potential there. We're still missing a few really, really, really important pieces. But right here is where we really figure out who we are as a club. This is where we figure out who we are as a supporter base, too. Because in our pain, we find our faith. This is one of those situations in which we're all dying. I don't even want to go on social media tonight. I don't want to see the Twitter. I don't want to see the Facebook. I, I'm staying the hell away from the LAFC fan page because that place is a cesspool of crap. I just, I just want to stay the hell away from that. And again, we have a very short turnaround until our next match. We play San Jose, a team in which the Carson Galaxy just beat recently. Look, we are one point ahead of the Galaxy. We've, we're making a, a bunch of firsts this season. But I can't recall a time in which the Galaxy were really above us on the MLS standings. Our arch rivals right behind us. Uh, we definitely need to end this losing streak and snap it all back into place. A draw or a win is a must for the next game against San Jose. Otherwise, we're going to continue to flounder, and it's unfortunate. Yeah, Philly, that's a great segue into our final segment of episode 113. That, of course, being scheduling with the scarf. I would like to say we did forget to mention our wait. What <laughs> moment of the podcast, which was actually the 61 seconds of Jordan Morris absolutely destroying LAFC. It also could have been the uh, the moment where Kenneth Vermeer came all the way out of goal and tried to take on Jordan Morris 1v1. Either way, it had something to do Destroyed. with those 61 seconds. That was awful. But in our final segment, scheduling with the scarf, you mentioned it, Wednesday, September 2nd versus San Jose at Bank of California Stadium. The nice part is, Philly, there's a little bit of a pattern to it. We play Wednesday, then we play Sunday. Then we play Wednesday, then we play Sunday. Wednesday, September 2nd against San Jose at the Bank. Sunday, September 6th at Carson. Wednesday, September 9th at Rio Tinto in the makeup game. And then Sunday, the 13th of September against Portland at Bank of California Stadium. That rounds out our final four games in the first phase of this restart. Four games, Philly, Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday. Not a lot of time to lick your wounds. You mentioned this last time as we were getting set to play Real Salt Lake. We were talking about it. Not a lot of time to lick your wounds after getting beat pretty good by Carson. Now not a lot of time to lick our wounds. San Jose, one of those teams that has traditionally not fared very well against LAFC. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how we bounce back. It is going to be an interesting next few days on social media for sure. Let the games begin between Pablo Cisniega's fans. It's going to be a lot of calls to start San Pablo, and we've already talked about it. Not a lot of reasons that Kenneth gave us to stay between the pipes. Philly, I'm pretty much done for episode 113. Hopefully we can get the good vibes back rolling against San Jose on the second. What more do you have, my friend, here at the end of our episode? We suck right now. <laughs> I mean, we just do. I, 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 I try to paint that glass half full perspective you know, more frequently than I care to admit, but we suck right now. We absolutely suck. 
we got to go back to the drawing board on, on a lot of levels. There's, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. But again, we're missing very, very, some key components to our team. But this can't be us. Even without these key components missing, we can't continue to put on performances like this. Again, we weren't as awful as we were against the Galaxy. But if you think we're, you know, there's they're, they're shining moments in here, yeah, maybe a couple, but we still suck. And until we win a game or until we at least get a draw, I'm going to continue to say we suck. I hate that. I, I don't like to speak negatively about our team, but we suck. And if you think otherwise, well, at me or, or prove me wrong. We suck right now. <laughs> Yeah, a couple of silver linings, I will say. I like the play of Jose Cifuentes in this match. I think it was great to see Christian Torres get out there. And we got another goal, and he now moves back to the top of the golden boot race for Diego Rossi. But, again, you're right. We don't look good right now. We'll see what happens in goal. And you guys know how we like to end all of our episodes. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.